something that is quite interesting, right? I mean, you can see there's some funny pictures of tongues up there. I think I got a couple more, yeah. The last one is, is my favorite. Yeah, that's a huge, huge, huge tongue. That's a meal right there. I, anyone eat cat tongue in here? Yeah? Really? What's it taste like? Like flavor, seriously? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Do I Yeah. Maybe. Maybe I'll have. <laughs> maybe. Maybe I'll have to try it. In our youth group, we've been talking about the tongue, and um, the tongue—it's something that we we all have. Um, you know, kids, if you want to do this, you can stick your tongue out. It's appropriate at this time. Can anyone touch their nose with their tongue? You. Let's see it, Jamie. Come on. Wow. Wow. How about the like the old elbow touch the tongue? Anyone? Anyone can do that. We, we all have them, they're kind of different, we all use them, uh, but what we found out in our study with the youth group is this, we always struggle with our tongue, not the tongue, but like our speech, with, with the things that we say, we always struggle with them, we'll always continue to struggle with them, um, and what I did with the youth group is I shared a few statistics with them that I'd like to share with you today about our speech, about the words that we say. I found this interesting. The average person spends one-fifth of his or her life talking. Some of you, that's a lot more than that. Some of you, it's a lot less. But some of you, you raise, you raise the bar. What that means is this. A single day's words would fill a 50-page book. Again, some of you might be 100-page. While in, over a year's time, an average person's words would fill 132 books of 200 pages apiece. That's just an average. That means over 26,000 pages of words that we speak. And chances are, if you're like me, some of those words are just not going to be good. They're not going to be smart. They're going to be things that you just don't necessarily think about. Maybe they get us in trouble. What we have come to find out in our study with our youth group is that the tongue is powerful. We were in the book of James. And what James says in his book is that nobody can tame the tongue. There is power in the words that we speak. Our, our words can do damage or they can lift up. They can be building. However, as powerful as our words can be, our words cannot make changes to the universe. It's just not going to happen. Our words, what we speak, cannot make changes or make somebody else change or stop what they're doing. We may try, but it doesn't always work. Our changes cannot make any change or our, 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 our speech cannot make any changes to the force of nature. As powerful as they are, our words cannot do that. Our words cannot do any of those, but there is one whose words can do all of that and so much more. And of course, we're talking about Jesus Christ. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark this morning, in chapter 4, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, any of you young people, when you tell me where that is, is that in the New Testament or Old Testament? Gospel Mark. <coughs> Yes. New, yes, new. And Mark is part of the Gospels. There are four Gospels. What are they? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Very good, very good. Mark is part of the Gospels that we call, uh, for the adults, we call synoptic. What that means is basically uh, what Mark wrote down, a lot of the other God, Matthew and Luke, have a lot of the same information. They just record it from a different perspective. Except Mark, 
He doesn't record anything about the birth of Jesus Christ. He just kind of jumps in and gets right into his public ministry. Jesus, as we know, spoke a lot. He talked a lot. And when he talked, he talked in parables. What that means is it's a, it's a story that has a meaning. So there was one day where Jesus had been talking a lot. Been telling a lot of different parables. And as you can imagine, after a long day of being out, interacting with people, and talking and speaking, Jesus was in fact tired. Think about it when you have a busy day. Young people or adults, when you have a busy day, you've been out, you're running around, you're running kids around, you're going from sports to, to, to job and back and forth, and you're trying to fit everything in, you get tired, and what would you like to do during the middle of the day? Take a nap, right? I mean, you would like to just kind of go down for a nap, of course. Well, Jesus had finished up with these crowds that he was with, and he decided that it's time for him to leave. So he gets into a boat there on the Sea of Galilee, and he tells his disciples, it's time for us to go. We're going to go across the sea. So they all get into the boat. Now, my family can attest to this. I am no boater. Okay? I don't know a whole lot of things about boats. I've uh, helped with boats. I've gotten hurt getting off of a boat. Some of you may have heard that story before. Uh, that's for another time. It's quite embarrassing. I know nothing about boats. Okay? But I do know this. There are more to boats than just saying, okay, I'm going to get on the boat and we're going to go. There's some prep time. There's some things that need to happen. So I am sure that the disciples were busy. There was a buzz around the boat. They're getting their sails ready. They're, they're plotting their course. They're, they're uh, you know, maybe saying goodbye to people. Um, and Jesus is tired. So he goes to take a nap. Meanwhile, the disciples, they take care of the boat. They get out onto the sea. And what do we find in verse 37? It says, And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. It says that there was a fierce wind. The literal translation of that is that there was a great wind. In fact, in the Greek, the word megas is used. We kind of know that word, right? It was a megastorm. A big storm came up, which, by the way, was not unheard of on the Sea of Galilee. This, uh, as one commentator points out, he says, The cool air would come in from the Mediterranean off the sea, drawn down to the narrow mountain passes, and clashes with the hot, humid lake or uh, uh, air lying over the sea. And what would happen? Well, you'd have a megastorm. So this storm was getting kind of crazy. The wind was wild and it was blowing and the waves start kicking up and coming over the boat. They're probably getting splashed at this point. It's going back and forth and up and down. If you've ever been on a boat that's been on some heavy seas, you know it's like, uh, you know, up and down. Horizon water, horizon water. I mean, it's, it's getting kind of crazy, right? Up and down. And I'm sure that the disciples were getting nervous. They're nervous because they see how big the waves are. They see that they're crashing over. But they also see that the water is starting to fill up in the boat. The boat is starting to fill up with water. Now, somebody tell me. The object of being in a boat is to stay dry. You're obviously going to get wet if the, the, the water's coming over. But what happens if there's too much water in the boat? Yeah, well, yeah, it's a potential, right? The, the, the boat could sink. And maybe the disciples, maybe, maybe they know how to swim. But, even if they did, in a mega storm with big waves and lots of wind... They may not have survived. So the, the disciples, they're in a tough situation here. They're getting nervous and they're getting scared. But where was Jesus? He was sleeping. He was napping. And i got to be honest, I think he was probably a heavy sleeper. 
Because they had to go wake him up. Look at verse 38. Jesus himself was in the stern. Uh, any, any boaters know what the stern is? Well, it's back. Okay. I'll admit, I had to look that one up. Um, I know nothing about boating, all right? So he's asleep. The waves are crashing. He's asleep. They wake him up. He said, teacher, don't you care that we're about to die? I mean, he's there sleeping. Teacher, help us, help us, help us. Now look, there's one or two things going on. Either they are very, very dramatic, okay? Or they're really scared for their lives. And i got to believe, they're scared for their lives. Why would they go down and wake him up? Because they fear that the boat is going to sink. And what happens next, I'm pretty sure that no one even expected what happened next. I mean, they had seen Jesus do some pretty amazing things. Chronologically, we know that they had seen him change water into wine. It's a pretty cool little trick there. And then they had seen people bring the, the sick people to him. And what did Jesus do? He healed the sick, right? They saw him cast out demons. They, 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 they saw uh, the one time when they were all out fishing. They couldn't catch anything. Jesus said, well, I'll go to the other side. And they're pulling in all this kind of fish. I mean, they had seen him do some amazing things. He had healed a man that was paralyzed since birth. They had seen him do amazing things, but what in the world would he do now? I mean, what did they expect? Did they just need a little bit of comfort? Did they need a hug? I mean, what, they were just going through a hard time here. So they wake Jesus up. Clearly, they were not expecting what happened next because they were shocked. So they wake up. Jesus stands to his feet, and then he speaks, verse 39. And he got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush! Be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. Now I want to try something a little bit different this morning, right? Now, I want everybody to put their hands in the air. Waiting like you just don't care. Okay? Now keep going back and forth. Alright? Keep going back and forth. Now I want you to make it sound like wind. Okay? Keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. We're going to see how much hot air y'all have. Now, when I say hush be still... I want y'all to stop, okay? Hush me still. I still heard some shh. <laughs> I did say hush me still, right? I mean, some of you still had your hands in the air and waving them like you just don't care. I mean, it takes a little moment for things to get quieted down, right? In our youth group, I'll come in. Kids will be playing games. I'll come in and I'll say, all right, we're, we're, we're going to start. Everyone gets their chairs and they're... And they're still throwing uh, basketballs and playing pool. And, and I'm like, okay, we're going to start. And some of them come and they sit and they're like, okay, I'm ready. And some of them are like, yeah, whatever. I'm still throwing, Matthew. Um, so <laughs> it takes them a little. Look, we always get there. We always get to the point where they're quiet and they're willing to listen. And but it's not instantaneous. It doesn't happen that way. But I wonder. I wonder if that's the way it happened with the storm. I wonder if it was instantaneous. We're not given any indication that it took long at all. It says, then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Something pretty interesting. The same word for great that we saw, megas, for the storm, is actually the same word used for describing the calm. If there was a mega storm, it's mega crazy, Jesus speaks... And through the power of his word, it becomes mega calm. 
Isn't that kind of crazy? So some, some translations use uh, complete or perfectly, but the same word as that, it was calm. And by the way, this word calm only used three times in the entire New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's only to do with this story. It speaks of stillness. Now I venture to say that when Jesus said, peace be still out there, hush to the waves, be still, that it didn't just go from uh, 10 foot waves, then maybe a few minutes later, 8 foot waves, and then maybe just some swells. My guess, and it's a hunch, okay? My guess is that it went to crystal clear. It went from mega busy and crazy to mega calm. The disciples were like, Oh my goodness. Can you imagine if somebody could do that? What would your reaction be? I mean, their, their jaw was about to the floor, I'm sure. They were astonished. Who could this be? Who could this be that can control the wind and the waves? Well, Mark has come to a conclusion already who this is. We see it in Mark 1, 1, where he says, This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is an amazing piece of history. Now, I'm careful to say it's an amazing piece of history. Because what if I said, well, this was an amazing story? Maybe you'd be less apt to believe it. I was just a story. This is history. This is recorded history. We see it recorded two other places in the Gospels. They, they corroborate exactly what Mark was talking about. But I wonder, how did this amazing piece of history happen? How did Jesus do it? All he did was speak. He used his words. What does John say in his gospel about the word of God? John 1.1, 1, 1, he says, in the beginning. That sounds kind of familiar. Is there another spot in scripture where it says in the beginning? Anyone? Genesis. Yeah. In the beginning, he says, the word was with God. And the Word was God. And later on in the chapter, I believe it's about verse 14, he says, The Word became flesh. That's, that's Jesus Christ. See, what he was trying to say, and all of Scripture screams this, by the way, it's consistent, whether it's in the Old Testament or New Testament, that Jesus is God's Son. He is, in fact, God in the flesh. And so, how did he calm the storm, though? What did he do? Did he create something to try to counteract the waves? No. What did he do? He spoke to the wind and the waves. He used his words. He spoke and something happened. That too sounds familiar too, right? In the book of Genesis, don't we see that? That God speaks, something happens. Genesis 1, verse 3. It says, then God said, he said, let there be light. And there was light. God didn't create big old stadium lights for the world. He didn't uh, create the biggest spotlight known to man. No, he said, let there be, and there simply was. It didn't just stop there. Verses 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, 24, all in chapter 1, God said, and it happened. God said, and it happened. He spoke the power of his words, and it happened. Isn't that exactly what happened when God in the flesh Calmed the wind and the waves. He spoke. It was the very words of God. I'm currently reading in my personal studies a, a book called Word Centered Church. I would recommend it highly to anybody. Talking about the importance of God's word. And the author in the book reminds us of this. He says, do you know that God and his word is the most powerful force in all the universe? He says, God created, and we just looked at that, but he also sustains 
the whole world by the power of his word in Hebrews 1.3. What does Hebrews 4.12 say? For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. You may have memorized that before. Let's try this. Who's got a cell phone on them? If you have a cell phone on you, take it out of your pocket. Don't play on it. Take it out of your pocket and hold it up. If you have a cell phone, Brad, do you? No, okay. That's it, it's a home. Or the love box, right? Okay, hold, hold up your cell phone. All right. Does anybody have, a, keep, keep, keep them up. Does anybody have a tablet or an iPod? Hold that up as well. Okay. Some of you are going to have multiple hands up in the air. Now, if you have, keep them up. If you have a physical Bible, hold that up as well. Same with the cell phones. Keep, keep, keep them all up. Keep them all up. All right. I want you to look all around you. These are all, because you have apps on your phone and apps on your iPads. Look how much access we have to the very words of God. You can put them up. That's how much access we have to the very words of God. Amazing, isn't it? But the question that I have for us, if we have that much access to it, then why aren't we on a consistent daily basis in God's Word? I mean, we have it. We have His words here. We stand in amazement at the miracles that we read, but yet we don't have the same awe and wonder over the entirety of the thing that we hold in our hands. This indeed is God's Word. It's the same word that holds the same mega power that it did in the New Testament when Jesus calmed the storm. The same power at the very beginning of time when God spoke things into existence. In fact, it's the same power that was able to raise from the dead. You've heard the story about Lazarus, haven't you? John chapter 11, verse 43. Listen to this. When he had said these things, this is Jesus speaking. He cried out. That means he used his words. And with a loud voice, he says, Lazarus. Come forth with a loud voice. Guess what word in the Greek is used for loud? Mega. With his mega powerful voice that already calmed the seas, that can create something out of nothing, was able to bring Lazarus, a dead man, back from the dead. Do we even understand what we hold in our hands? I mean, it is amazing. The author of this book said, God's word is an extension of God himself. To hear his words that compromise the whole Bible is to hear him, to obey him, and to ignore his words is to ignore him. See, the Bible is not just words about God. It is the very words of God. And if what the Bible claims to be true, and and those of you who are believers, we believe it to be true then the Word of God is vital to our lives. And if it's vital to our lives, much like the bread that we eat, the the, the water that we drink, the air that we breathe, then wouldn't it reason to believe that you and I would be in it each and every single day? Here's what I've come to realize. is far too long we've left the Bible on the shelf just to collect dust. Far too long on our iPads or our phones or whatnot, we have... Maybe we have the Bible app, but maybe we go far beyond it and we just use all the other apps, the, 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 the games and the social media, and, and the Bible is the last thing that we go to. For far too long, we've neglected God's Word in our lives and in the lives of our families across the country, across the world. My hope is that today we can begin to move away from that. 
And it begins with understanding the power of God's Word. Look, in a dark world, God's Word is literally the lamp to our feet, the light under our path, as Psalm 119 says. God's Word is what sustains us. As Matthew 4 says this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. These are not just words to be repeated after a scripture reading, but they are truth that should penetrate our hearts and cause life change within us. But in order for that to happen, in order for change to happen by God's Word, guess what we need to do? We need to be in His Word. And so today, I'm going to call us to action. They said that if you do something for 20 straight days, you have created a new habit. So we're going to go a little bit beyond that just to make sure. And I'm going to challenge you for 30 days. 30 days as a church family. 30 straight days of being in God's Word. And I want you to commit to it today, not just individually. That's great. But also as a family. There's power. And being in God's Word as a family. Now look, I understand this. There are a few obstacles in our way. And I'm going to try, if I can, to take a few of those out of your way. Your first thought is, huh? I don't have time for that. You, I know you are busy. Trust me, I know it. I'm busy too. I get to the end of the day some days and I'm just like, what in the world happened today? I'll admit it, there are times when I put the kids to bed and I keep going across the hall and put myself to bed. Because I'm tired. We're, we are busy people. I don't know if it's true that we're busier today now than we ever have been. I think people are always busy. We'll always find things to fill up our time. I get to the end of the day sometimes and, and my mind is swimming, my body aches, my eyes are heavy, and somehow I wake up the same way. We're busy, right? But here's what I found out. And if you're honest with yourself, you found it out true. If I want to do something, I'll make time for it. It's terribly convicting to say that. But if I want to do something, like for instance, if I want to exercise, and I believe it's important, guess what? I'm going to take time and I'm going to find time to do that as much as I possibly can. Same is true with being in God's Word. No one's saying, look, take an entire afternoon to read the Bible as a family. You wouldn't get anything done. Your kids would flunk school. It, just, it wouldn't work. All right? Nobody's even telling you take an entire hour. If you can, that's great. If you can take 10 minutes, a few minutes, it comes down to what we believe and what we are convinced of. And if we are convinced that God's Word is indeed a lamp unto our feet and it's profitable for all things, then we'll work it out. So, obstacle number one, time. Throw it out. No sympathy from me. I'm busy, you're busy. We will make time for what we want to do. I know that. Number two, as far as excuses may be, obstacles. Because you may say, you know what, I, I 100% agree. The word is important. But you know what? I don't, I don't have a Bible. And so I, I don't know what to do about that. And I, I also don't know where to start with my family. I think it's a great idea, but I have nowhere to, nowhere to start. Well, I'm, sh I'm glad that you shared those things with me this morning. Because uh, I've taken the liberty of, if, if you look in the back there, uh, there's a table full of Bibles. For, for every age, child's first Bible, uh, on up to student and adult. If you need a Bible, and I'm serious about this, if you need a Bible, take one. If we run out of Bibles, we will buy you one. It, it, 
Money's not even an option for that. It's the very word of God. If you need a Bible, go ahead and take one. If your child needs a Bible, take one. It is that important. For every age, we have a Bible. When the service is over, just go back and take what you need. And as far as not knowing where to start, you can join the club, right? Uh, oftentimes, we're like, wow, I don't, I don't know where to, where do I even begin? Well, what I've done is I just bought two family devotionals that are over there. Each of them are just slightly different than the other. None of them require a big amount of time. But what it does is it gets you into the Word, you're intentional about it, and it causes you to have intentional conversations about God's Word. And all of those things are very, very good. And so, you now don't have those two excuses. If we run out, we'll get you more. I want to leave you with a story. A story about a, a, a son that left for college. When their son left for college, it was his freshman year, his parents gave him a Bible. How nice of it. They assured him it would be a great help. And later, as he began sending them letters, not saying that he missed them, but saying that he needed money, they would write back telling him to read his Bible, and they would cite chapter and verse. He would reply, yes, 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 I am reading my Bible, but I still need money. When he came home for a semester break, his parents told him, we know you're not reading your Bible. <laughs> yeah, whatever, how? Well, we had tucked $10 bills, $20 bills, and all the verses that we had cited when we sent it to you. We don't oftentimes recognize the value in God's Word. The kid says, yeah, 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 you know what, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it, I'll read it. But he never did it. We may say that we're going to read the Word of God, but we need to move from just words to actions. Those of you who have been here to, uh, oh, I see you're a little bit ahead of me. Um, if you've been here through our Nehemiah series, last time we got together, Nehemiah had asked something of the people. He had required them to do something. And, 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 and who knows, maybe he didn't think it was going to go over very well, but he wanted them to do something. The people said, okay, yeah, we'll do it. Nehemiah, being the smart guy that he is, said, you know what, I want something even more. You said you're going to do it, but I want a commitment. I want a pledge or a promise. What he was asking for was their very word. And so I thought it fitting this morning as we close. On Awana, every Wednesday night, they do the pledge to the Bible. Uh, I do chapel for Chesapeake Christian School up in Easton. Every time I go to chapel, we do the pledge to the Bible. And I thought to myself, and every time we do the pledge, and I look around the room, and I wonder, you know, the words to this pledge, I wonder if we're really meaning them. And I thought it fitting today. As you've been challenged for 30 days, okay, I'm going I'm to keep on top of you. I'm going to see how we're doing. I want you to keep on top of me, because we're going to do it too. But I thought, how appropriate it would be to end with the pledge to the Bible. And so I'm going to ask you, if this is something that you want to take on, young and old alike, stand to your feet and let's end with the pledge to the Bible. Only if you mean it. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him. The only way you can hide God's word in your heart is to be in it.
There's no other way. There's no other shortcut. How valuable it will be for you and your family as you navigate this thing called life. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, there are often times we have no idea the power that we have. Lord, I thank you for the challenges that we see in your word. I thank you for the power that we see in your word. Lord, the power that was able to create something out of nothing. Power that was to be able to, to, uh, to calm storms, Lord. Power to be able to raise from the dead. Lord, there is power in the word of God, and we have it. We have it at our fingertips. Forgive us for the times where we're not in it. Lord, I pray that this commitment that we have made, this pledge that we have made, that we will follow through with it, Lord. May we each, as family members, hold the other family member accountable. Lord, we may get to the end of our day and just be dog-tired, and that's going to happen. Lord, help us to get into your word, whether it's first thing in the morning, late at night, in the middle of the day, wherever it is, it's a good time. I pray for each one in here, each family that's represented here, that we will be able to do that. God, we love you. We do want to get to know you even more. We understand in order to do that, we need to be in your word. So we thank you. We thank you for the challenge. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we ask all of these things. Amen. Amen.